At Baker's, no matter where you order free pickup, you get the same great deals as you'd get in store. So you can save when you order during band practice or at the dog park or wherever. Start your cart with the Baker's app and save from wherever today. Baker's, fresh for everyone. $35 order minimum restrictions may apply. Subject to availability. Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Hello and welcome to the Social Psychic Radio Show featuring Jason Zuck. Jason has been an intuitive psychic medium since 2004. This show will cover a variety of topics relating to spirituality, mediumship, self-improvement, and intuitive guidance. Whatever interests you, remember that we are all here to share and learn. Sit back and get ready to socialize with the Social Psychic. Hello and welcome to the Social Psychic Radio Show. This is Jason Zook. It's with great pleasure that I have the opportunity of interviewing special guest Lee McCormick. Mr. McCormick is an author, and his new book, The Heart Reconnection Guidebook, will be a great read for anyone interested in learning more about what's called heart reconnection therapy and gaining an increased understanding of how your own heart can heal itself to reclaim its wholeness following a trauma or any type of negative experience that one might deal with in life, it may also help those dealing with addiction as well. The information contained within this book started from the goal of identifying healing processes that would be most helpful in guiding people who are dealing with such things as addiction. McCormick shares that the goal with the relation to this particular project quickly expanded to include people who've experienced trauma or struggling with any other conditions that might preclude them from moving forward in life. A significant aspect of this book relates to the introduction of directed introspection, utilizing a medicine. We'll get into that, where each of the four different quadrants relate to a different stage of growth and maturity. This book can truly help others overcome trauma, depression, heartbreak from a failed relationship, or any other personal loss or pain. It's with great pleasure that I bring Lee McCormick onto the show. Thank you. Welcome to the show, sir. How are you? I'm good. I wanted to ask you about your book, and, and I want to congratulate you on its release. One of the things I, I, I find interesting and intriguing is the, I wanted to delve a little into your background. If you could share with our audience uh, what motivated you to get involved in the Heart Reconnection Guidebook. Sure, yeah. Well, it started more or less 21 years ago when I actually checked myself into a treatment center. Okay. You know, drug and, drug and alcohol mental health program and I had a really profound experience um, in that program it kind of opened up my point of view around life and being human it really made me aware for the first time in my life the incongruence between the way you know the way our world looks the way our neighborhoods and our homes and our houses and the way everything is presented and then the rest of the story, which is all the stuff that goes on, um, what I call like on the backside, you know, like the truth of what's really happened in, in a lot of families um, when nobody's around, you know. And so the whole wounded nature of, of our being human, it was really intriguing to me and it it kind of made sense. I'm one of those people that 
I, I never could just buy into the official version of life and, you know, that you do the, the, the kind of the order of things that you do, go to school and get an education and get a good job and make money and get married and have kids and all that stuff leads to happiness. I, it just never, I never could quite buy it as being the official story, you know, and then my experience in treatment validated a lot of that. You know, we, we live in the world, we live in our culture the way we do, and on face value, a lot of what you see and witness is true, and a lot of what you see and witness is actually a mask. So I got ended up getting involved in the treatment industry. I started a, a treatment program in Tennessee called The Ranch 20 years ago, and I owned it for, for gosh, a number of years, 12 years. I got involved in working in some programs in California, and I lived in, in L.A. for about 12 years um, while I still owned the ranch in Tennessee, and I started a couple programs in California for other people. Um, and just, you know, spent a lot of time and a lot of years involved in different healing practices, um, not being a therapist. You know, I, I was wide open to anything from ceremony and sweat lodges to, to um, different modalities um, in the mental health treatment paradigm. And uh, my real interest was, you know, why, do we, why are we humans living the way we're living? Why do we keep doing the things we're doing? Um, what are we believing here that actually may not be true, but it's the way we're taught to see life? The Heart Reconnection Guidebook is the third book that I've been a part of. And it really, it kind of encapsulates a lot of my experience. And it was a, a collaborative effort between me and, and the group of people that are on the book, Joan Borsinko, Mary Faulkner, Holly Cook, Gary Seidler. We were all at a conference together, and we started a conversation around the mental health addictions treatment world and how poor the outcomes are. Um, a lot of people may not know that the, you know, in the drug and alcohol treatment realm, especially the outcomes, the positive outcomes are less than 50%. Um, I'm being generous. Wow. So sure. I've just never been able to buy that is okay. Um, you know, the, the business models um, and the, the professional perspective says, well, either the clients don't want to get better or the disease of addiction or the mental health issues are so challenging that they just can't overcome it, and I just, that's bullshit. I don't buy it. Um, the truth is we have not done enough questioning why are we doing the things we're doing and how are we meeting people when they come to us for help and, you know, what might we do to create a more engaging, effective experience for people that are looking for help? Um, and the Heart Reconnection Guidebook is, is a bit of a response to that. It's a beginning of a, of a shift in the point of view around our being human and our relationships and the world we live in. You know, interestingly enough, I think it's great that you're willing to share your story and your personal experience and put it into this book and your other books as well. Uh, I think too many people who deal with addiction, or let me rephrase that, people who are around loved ones or someone who's dealing with an addiction, sometimes you, you look at that person and you think, how can that person get better? And what I like about your personal story that you're sharing right now on our show is that 
it's you're showing the fact that most of us in society deal with issues and it's it's good to utilize that and turn that into a positive situation where you can try to help others with their experiences and so with that particular aspect of it i think it's great that you've decided to make that you know your your calling so to speak to take what you've gained from your personal challenges and be able to come up with something that might be able to be passed on to somebody else who's dealing with a similar issue in the future or right now and making and, and I, I like the, the idea of healing and paradigm shifts and i think that's probably one of the most important aspects of what we deal with in life is how to deal with a, a negative situation such as an addiction or addictive behavior and work through that to see the other side, that you can live a healthier life and you can reclaim your, your inner core of who you are, the sense of self, without the addictive behaviors causing you to have that setback and, and continuously repeating that cycle. Yeah. Exactly. One of the things I was going to ask you, and depending on your own personal experience with this, is when you deal with certain things like shamanism, they consider the term disease as something being an imbalance. And I noticed your book talks about imbalances as well. And I wanted to see if you could tell us a little about how you feel people who are out of balance can come and channel this type of methodology to become more balanced over time. Yeah, sure. Well, you know, it's not that that's still congruent with this idea of addressing um, issues such as addictions or eating disorders or, you know, any kind of obsessive compulsive behaviors. All of those are symptoms of an imbalance. So we have like a <laughs> humanity has a, a, a great array of symptoms <clears throat> um, that we deal with every day that are more or less accepted as normal, but they're all symptoms of the fact that our cultures are, are completely out of balance, you know, in our individual relationship with life um, as a result ends up being out of balance. So, you know, from the, and it's difficult to generalize this, but I'll speak from my experience, my relationship with having worked with, you know, shamanic with shamans and, and sorcerers and curanderas and healers um, in different parts of the world and different traditions. You know, the point of view is that as a human being, we're an energetic being. We are, you know, I think you could use the metaphor, we're like a musical instrument, a complicated musical instrument. And we have a physical body. We have an emotional body that's energetic. Our physical body is also energetic, but it's a denser energy, so it's in form. Um, we have our mind, you know, our intellect. We have the whole operating system of the mind, our reasoning ability. Um, and then we have our spirit, the, our consciousness that animates the body and gives life to our being a human. If I was not in a body, I wouldn't be a human. I'd be a spirit person. The shamanic world that I've been a part of views our humanity, our individual human experience as an expression of the mystery of life. And life is a great mystery. You know, in the shamanic world, I think there's actually more respect, inherent respect for the mystery, for the flow of life, for the intricateness and the interrelatedness of all of creation than there is in the Western mind. 
Western mind tends to see man as like we're on the top of a pyramid and we're directly connected to some story of God and somehow or another we're special and different. Um, we are clearly different. Um, our specialness, I don't think, has been realized. I think we're half-baked. Um, but the idea of balance is that if you use, again, that metaphor of a musical instrument, if I'm overly absorbed in my mind and my intellect and my reason, and I'm so absorbed in my mind that I, I spend years developing my base of knowledge and, and being educated from a, you know, from a, um, a mind-oriented point of view, from an information point of view, a knowledge point of view, a science point of view, um, and that that is the majority of my influence in how I'm educated as to being human or living in the world, that is just in and of itself going to inherently create an imbalance between my reliance on the mind, my to the mind, and my and my awareness of the mind, and the level of awareness that I live with my intuitive side, with my emotional side, um, with my relationship to the spirit, with my relationship to consciousness. You know, so the idea of balance or imbalance can happen really in any one aspect that we hold as a as a whole human being when we live with more focus and attention um, and connection to any one area. You know, you can certainly be incredibly brokenhearted. You can suffer a lot of trauma. Um, you know, you can be very wounded on an emotional level to where your energy is overwhelmingly emotionally oriented. And what happens then is it is you go through life and you're just having ordinary day-to-day experiences, but they're triggering out of context, overwhelmingly, you know, deep, big emotional reactions. Well, that's just another form of imbalance that the level we've not found a way to come back in and address the energy around our wounds and our heartbreaks um, and our traumas so that we could let that energy go that we could unravel the judgment and the fear that we carry as a result of those experiences. Um, and at the same time, it's all interconnected. You know, we, you can't identify just the mind of the human separate from the emotion, separate from the spirit, um, separate from the body, you know, and vice versa. All, of, all the aspects that make us human are all interwoven into one whole being. Um, but the shamanic world is very aware of balance and doesn't, from my experience, doesn't necessarily value one aspect way over and above the others. And I believe that modern man has come to place a far greater value on intellect and mind and reason than it does any other aspect of our, of our humanity. I wanted to ask you, um, Regarding the topic of this particular book, The Heart Itself, what made you and your colleagues decide to focus on, uh, I think what you call it, heart reconnection therapy and utilizing the wisdom of the heart itself? I know your chapter one talks about reawakening the wisdom of the heart, and I wanted to see how did you guys get introduced to that topic and, and those ideas? 
of using the heart as a focus of your of this particular work? It came about just simply out of our, all of our collective experience. Um, the group of people that wrote the book again, you know, between us, like Joan Borisenko is a PhD psychologist. She was a um, she was a part of creating the first mind body spirit clinic at Harvard back in the early eighties, uh, working with people during the AIDS epidemic. You know, Mary Faulkner has been a therapist for 40 years. Holly Cook's been a therapist for nearly 40 years. I've been doing this work for 20 years in my own way. So we had a, we have a lot of experience of working with human beings, trying to find a way to live a happier, more fulfilling life. That's really what it's about. You know, Definitely. we just we want to we just want to be happy, man. We want to enjoy living, and being <laughs> here. You know, um, absolutely. And what be, between us collectively, we have each in our own way realized that to live a happy, connected, inspired life, you're not living from again, you're not living from your reason and your mind. You're living from from your spirit and what we call our heart. You know, you're living from the center of your being. And it's that, it's almost hard to even define in words, but heart's the best thing we could come up with. Um, it's like living from an inspired place, you know, a place of grace, a place of, of happiness or contentment or inspiration, and having that connection be the primary connection that you live as you move through the world. Like, really, how does it I really feel? like that. Yeah. yeah. So we'll reference a lot more than what do you think about something. We'll say, how do you feel about that? And, I mean, it's serious. That's intentional. Literally, what's the feeling you get? See, in the shamanic world, there's a, there's a reference that our intuition is a direct link to spirit. So a lot of times what we're getting as intuitive hits is literally we're getting tips from, from beings that are in, a, you know, in the spirit world however you want to define that. You know, so bring if we want to bring our life back into balance, then we drop our attention out of our overwhelmed, you know, always-on mind, and we drop our attention back down into our body again. And that takes practice. So it kind of goes Buddhist from there. You know, you develop a practice of developing an awareness of where is my attention seated in my body, in my life, in my experience. At what stage would you recommend that someone look – I guess it would probably be any stage, I would think, but at what stage would this information be most helpful to someone in our audience that's listening to this interview for them? Well, you know, I'm supposed to be selling the book, dude, so, you know, yeah. clearly you should, buy, you should buy the book wherever you're at um, and read the book and see what it inspires in you. Definitely. You know, see, like this book is for human beings. It's not – it's not just for addicts or, you know, for people suffering from some diagnosable issue. It's for anyone that's human that has an interest in being and in, in having a cooler experience in life, having a freer experience, realigning themselves with purpose or intention. You know, it, it's like I find it incredibly interesting and have for 20 years now that being human is a trip. We're really interested <laughs> And if you, can, if you can move beyond living in relationship to yourself through judgment as, as judging everything is right or wrong or good or bad, and you can shift and learn to be more of a witness to yourself and a witness to life 
And life becomes it's like we're living in this crazy movie set. And so what is really motivating us? You know, what's really behind the choices we're making? Why do I tell myself the stories I tell myself? And, and is it really true, the things that I came to believe growing up and the, the fabric of my belief system? Is my belief system really true or is it just what I've decided to believe? That's really, it's definitely a very deep topic when you think about it. All of us are striving on our own personal journey to try to improve ourselves and overcome the challenges of our lives in order to utilize the best version of ourselves that exists. So I like, I like the fact that your, your topic really delves on that self-improvement aspect of it and getting in tuned and in touch with your heart and your mind and your spirit. That whole mind-body-spirit connection plays really well as, in this situation as well. Um, one of the things I want to ask you is, what's the greatest challenge you guys had writing this book that you didn't expect to have? It's kind of funny, actually. The greatest challenge was probably driving the editor crazy. When you have, <laughs> when you have three or four people contributing to a book, you know, and like Mary Faulkner and I wrote the majority of the book. Mary is Mary's an amazing writer. She's really a, a an accomplished writer. I just happen to write down the way I see things. I just put that down on, you know, I just type that into my laptop. Um, but Mary is really an accomplished writer. But then we pass it around, and, and Holly Cook would contribute, or Joan Borsinka would contribute, and we'd discuss it. So there was just a lot of changes. When you get excited about writing something like this, you know, you just keep thinking of new stuff. Like, oh, yeah, we need to put this in the book, or we need to put that, or we ought to tweak this this way. So it, there came a point after three complete rewrites of the book that the editor, our editor, Carol Rosenberg, who's... She is fantastic as an editor. And you can tell because when you read this book, you can't really tell that there are four people woven into this book. It reads like one cohesive manuscript. Um, but, you know, Carol said, okay, guys, you're going to have to, like, let me edit it one more time and I'm done. No more, <laughs> oh, no, we forgot this or, oh, no, we forgot that. So that was really, I mean, it's a very mechanical thing, but it was actually really funny. Writing as a group of people, it's a lot of work writing a book, period, but it's it's like three times the work if you get two or three people working on a manuscript together. And trying to coordinate and get everything to come within a cohesive message that all four of you can collaborate on and have that final finished product reflect exactly what you guys were intending it to reflect. I'm sure that's one of the greatest challenges that probably exists, having all divergent viewpoints. Yeah, and see, we're not we're not technical writers. Mary is, as I said, she's a she's a very accomplished writer. She's a professional writer. Well, I'm just an opinionated guy who has a bunch of stuff to say, you know, <laughs> and a lot of experience. Sure. And um, so, you know, if you're writing strictly from a technical point of view, then it's it's just a process. But if there's personality and heart and spirit and passion involved in it, then you literally are really writing the way you speak that's the way I write you know it if you read something that I write that's not been edited it's you feel like you're having a conversation with me one of the things I want to ask you about chapter three talks about living from the heart I want to see if you can kind of expound on that a little for our audience about what that exactly means sure well as I said earlier if you shift if we shift our attention out of our mind which what I mean by that is 
you know, the voices in our head are talking all the time. And what, and that, that's, you have thoughts continuously, right? We're all having thoughts. We're all thinking things. Um, our mind is responding to, to what someone says. We may hear a thought in response before we say it, before it comes out of our mouth. So the mind is very busy. There's a lot of dialogue, internal dialogue that goes on in the mind all the time. And the basis of the mind is like the hard drive on a computer. So you've lived your life up until this point, and the entire experience of your life has been downloaded onto the hard drive of your mind. Now, you may not be able to pull it all up. You know, you may forget this or forget that. But trust me, the, the, the replay on your mind has captured your entire experience in life. And some of it's in the conscious aspect, and some is in the subconscious aspect. The culture that we live in, in America, and the way we've been raised to live, our mind is our go-to. So if I have a problem, you know, we say, well, you need to think about it, come up with a solution. If I'm not sure about what I want to do or where I want to go, well, then think about it, figure out what you want to do. Um, like, culturally, the, the way we're raised is we're continuously being referenced back to our intellect and to our mind and to our reason. Think about what you want. Find a solution and then go do that. When you shift that and you, and you break the pattern of always giving your attention to your mind, to your thinking, and you begin to bring your attention down into your body. So literally, you, you, can, you can just breathe. So say you, to shift your attention or practice for this, would be to just start breathing and imagine that your breath is coming in and it's moving right down through your heart and down into your stomach, okay? And you're breathing into the center of your being, all right? As you, as you practice that breath and you just keep that breathing and you use your imagination, then you can shift your attention to follow the breath. So I shift my attention down into my body and I sit with how it feels being in my body and I give my attention to any awareness that might come through my body now this doesn't mean that the mind stops talking but what it means is that I'm going to hold my attention on that connection to my internal self to my emotional self to my to my body and I'm going to just let the mind chatter Okay, but don't give it your attention. It's kind of like having kids in the back seat of the car. The kids are back there and they're talking and they're playing with their phones and all this racket's going on. You can choose to give that your attention if you want, or you can shift your attention to thinking about something else, or you shift your attention out the window and you're watching the world go by while that background noise of what's going on in the back seat's happening, but you're not giving it your attention. And and this is done intentionally right so you're making a conscious choice in where you're going to place your attention that's how we learn to shift our awareness into our heart into our center we use the term heart and i'm not talking about you know like the the romantic heart i'm talking about the, the seat of your soul where our consciousness is seated in our physical body and anchored in our physical body we're not our body we're the consciousness that gives life to the body
When you leave your body, your body dies. It returns to the earth. You don't. We are a band of frequency of consciousness, and we go somewhere else. I, I completely 100% agree with you. As a, as a psychic medium, I tell people all the time that our physical bodies end, and that's what people consider death. But who we are as individuals, everything else transcends death and goes on to another place, whether it's the spirit, whether it's the soul. I highly believe that, that we do definitely do not die here. We do go on somewhere else. One of the things I, I found very intriguing about your book is when you talk about the gift of suffering. And I wanted to, you know, some call it hitting rock bottom, others call it grace, but I know it's definitely something that makes us appreciative of where we are, taking inventory, and then also becoming fuller to help others in our lives through that process. I wanted to ask you a little about what you consider the gift of suffering to mean in reference to this particular project and being able to reconnect with one's heart. Yeah. Well, you know, of course, there are different levels of suffering. I mean, there's just straight up physical suffering, you know, that you, like you have pain, um, you, you break a bone, you just the literal physical suffering of the physical body. That is what it is on that level. The suffering I'm talking about in the book that you're referencing is suffering as in sadness, fear, heartbreak, loneliness, you know, self-induced suffering like a drug and alcohol habit, being a rager and, and going off and raging at people that you love and then just feeling terrible afterwards. Or literally, humans can become addicted to, to emotional qualities. Like you can become addicted to patterns of sadness or grief where you just can't break the pattern of falling into deep grief, and it may be going on for years after whatever event triggered it. That level of suffering, those aspects of human suffering, if you shift your relationship with them, they are, they are an ally to us in that the suffering is just trying to get our attention. That level of suffering is trying to get us to pay attention to the cause and effect of what we are doing to ourself ultimately. So if I live a if I'm in a pattern of, you know, alcohol abuse and I'm waking up with a hangover three days a week and my family is suffering because of it and my work is suffering because of it and my passion is suffering because of it. Well every time I wake up with a hangover, my body's saying, Hey man, maybe you want to pay attention to this, you know? I feel like hell. <laughs> right? What are you doing to me? You know? Um and it's the same thing with, with these emotional states. You know, if, if you're real quick to react, if you're easily triggered and you get mad a lot, you're real reactive and explosive a lot, there's something underneath that that's causing that. And so the discomfort that's a part of these patterns, that discomfort is really an invitation to pay attention. And so if you take judgment out of it and judging yourself or judging other people, you realize it's, it's really just a, it's an invitation to, to look at yourself, look in the mirror, you know, maybe ask for help, maybe have a conversation with somebody, you know, I, it's really can be an act of grace because that suffering is what finally got me to pay attention to a, like for in my life, you know, the, 
all the sadness, all the anger, all the fear, all the heartbreak associated with behaviors that I, the, the pattern of behavior that I used to live um, when I was addicted to, you know, drugs, um, it was the suffering that got me to pay attention to that. If I hadn't suffered over it, I'd still be doing it. You know, so the suffering is not sure. an enemy. It's an ally. I feel like it could also be a symptom of bigger things that brings your, it's like pain. You suffer and you realize that you're causing something that's out of whack and that you need to bring it, bring yourself back into harmony with everything else. And I feel like suffering Absolutely. can cause you to be aware of that better. Uh, kind of like a squeaky wheel. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What I what I think is interesting about it too is we are just starting to understand how our brains are, are operating under circumstances when we deal with certain things like addiction or addictive behaviors or PTSD, whatever it is. There's just so many multiple multifaceted layers taking an onion and peeling it back to understand it. I feel like eventually our society will grasp a better understanding of this stuff. But for now, I think what you have been able to develop as your as your paradigm here is what I'll call it. It can really be something that can that can be utilized to help people gain clarity and understand how to work through these particular situations in a in a much more active basis. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I thought was interesting about your about what you've come up with in the Heart Reconnection Guidebook was, I guess it would be called directed introspection using a medical utilizing a medicine wheel and I want to see if you could tell our audience a little about how that process to being and and how it reflects what they you know what the reader could do should they decide to uh, embark on this the path of the wheel and trying to learn more about themselves and, and gaining greater understanding of these issues well the medicine wheel the thing I love about the wheel is that of course life is actually not linear you know, we count our years in a linear fashion, um, but the experience of life is not linear. Life is big circles. And when you start to, to look at yourself and work on yourself, look at your life and question your life, it really serves us to give our mind a structure that we can follow. You know, for instance, to get from point A to point B to point C, there's particular steps in the wheel we begin in the East and the East, you know, is there's particular values subscribed to the East. The East is childhood. It's infancy. So you start in the East and then you're focusing on the earliest time of your life, right? And what were the experiences and you follow the practices or the suggestions or the reflections that the structure of the wheel is putting your attention towards. You know, the mind needs to be directed or the mind just kind of wanders all over the place. You know, you may think about your childhood for a few minutes and you'll, you'll dream back into it a little bit. But if you don't have a structure and you don't have guidance, then two seconds later you're thinking about what am I going to order for dinner tonight? And then you're thinking about, oh, man, tomorrow afternoon, you know, i got 50 things to do. So the mind wanders everywhere. The mind, our mind is kind of like, a, it's kind of like an adolescent teenager that's got ADD and it's just bouncing around. Well, the wheel <laughs> creates a guidance. It, it'll, it, cre- it offers us a guidance system and that guidance system in that circular fashion of east, south, west, north, and back to east again, that allows us to revisit over and over again because as we unravel ourselves, ourself, 
our story, our experiences, every time we go around the wheel, more is revealed. Something new will come up when you think you've already done all that, and then something new pops up. So it's, you know, it's, it's a great practice. I think that's great. I really do. I want to ask you, with reference to someone who's really wanting to make this their own and want to, you know, embark on the concepts raised by your book, what would you suggest to them in terms of their pace or if they have setbacks as they try to do this stuff? What, what guidance or advice would you recommend to them? Actually, one of the first things I would say is that if you have a group of friends that are close, you know, like you all know each other well, a practice like this is really well served to do it with a small group of people. You know, you got three, four, five, six people, whatever. Whenever we come together in a community, to reflect on our being human, to reflect on our life, reflect on our choices and our, you know, the things that we're looking at. It just serves us, man. You know, whenever people come together for a, a common intention um, that's positive like this, you just, you get more than the sum of the parts out of it. So that's the first thing. But we all need, or we are all well served, find some way to hold ourselves accountable. If you're going to step in, if you're going to order this book, so order the book. When you get the book, make the commitment to yourself that you're going to spend, you're going to take, you know, an hour, three times a week, something reasonable, something that, you know, you can do, and you're going to read the book, and you're going to take notes. You're going to follow the suggestions in the book. We'll get you a journal, you know, just a clean journal, and as you read the book, when questions pop up, you can underline stuff, or you can... You can make notes in a journal. You know, develop a tracking system and like what I call a mirror. So you want to create a mirror for yourself so that as you go through the process, you have an opportunity to stop and reflect and sit with it. One of the things, one of the points in the book is to learn to sit with questions as opposed to having a question and Googling an answer, accepting that answer, and that's it, and you just move on. You know, when we start asking questions about life, about our heart, our soul, our spirit, our relationships, our, our purpose, our meaning, those kind of questions, there's not a, a simple answer to that. It's really, those questions really touch on the nature of our relationship with ourselves. And so it's very powerful, very effective to learn to just sit with those questions and, and give life, the universe, a chance to respond, you know, to reveal something for you. It'll, it'll also put you in a position to have to learn to be patient. And they definitely say patience is a virtue. <laughs> I'm looking at page yeah. 38 of your book, and uh, it looks like you have a graphic showing what you view the wheel to look like, where it's laid out northwest, east, south. It's in the quadrants with the heart in the middle. One of my questions mm-hmm. looking at this you have different animals listed on the bottom of each quadrant. Like, for example, for the north quadrant, uh, you have the turtle, and it looks like you might have the crown. Is that the crown chakra, or is that something else? I just wanted to kind of decipher that a little bit for our audience looking at this. Each one of the directions, we assigned particular, like, spirit animals. We assigned different stages of our life as a human. You know, so it starts with empathy, infancy, in childhood in the east and then it goes to like the teenage years in the south and then middle age in the west and then 
being a being an elder in the north. The truth is, if, if you if you participate in any kind of a tradition, you know every tradition has its own values. So all of that is completely malleable as far as we're concerned. And, and we wrote something to that effect that you know this isn't about does the buffalo belong in the north or the coyote in the south or the hummingbird in the south, like what belongs where? That's not what it's about. What it's about is offering a framework that you can use in the process. And if you have a different tradition or different values, and plug in what feels right to you. You know, and if you have an inclination toward some indigenous ceremonial belief system or mythology, you know, or practices, then plug in what you want to plug in and then assign what you want to assign. It's not about being right. It's about creating a framework and a tool that we can use to our benefit. In reference to the four quadrants, I know you have, you've already explained the East quadrant regarding childhood. There are some, uh, some mentioned in the chapter that you talk about, I guess it's chapter six. It's entitled East Entering the Wheel. And I want to ask you about when you, um, there's certain questions that you can ask here that are, uh, I'm just curious about the characteristics of, of a, tr a troubled childhood, and there's various, I think there's about 14 or 13 of these. Adult children of alcoholics are impulsive, extremely loyal. Adult children are super responsible, adult children alcoholic. Can you tell us a little about what these particular 13 statements are, are meant to highlight in relation to the wheel itself? Well, it and I guess relates Eastern back. Quadrant. Yeah. Go ahead. So um, it actually relates back to that's the time frame in life that we're looking at in the East, right? Okay. So the time frame in life that we're looking at is, is childhood. Well, that information that came out of the adult children of alcoholics work from back in the 80s actually is really accurate. And what it is is it's accurate to children that grow up in a home that's not congruent. You know, it's uh, not congruent, meaning the parents may say one thing, but they live completely differently. You know, you don't feel safe as a little kid. You know, there's there's not a healthy level of nurturing or care. Kind of like you're, you know, you're on your own and the world going on around you is kind of crazy making. But what happens with kids, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight-year-old kids growing up in a home it's not safe and not grounded is the children end up trying to fix everything and the children end up responsibility for the parents and make sure the parents are okay. So it creates an inherent imbalance. Whereas the parents should be taking care of the kids, the kids end up trying to take care of the parents and it creates a pattern that, that follows you through life unless you address it. Um, and what that pattern ultimately ends up doing is you're, you could be giving yourself away to situations that are not serving you because you're stuck in that pattern of trying to make everything okay for other people all the time. And you don't really acknowledge your value and your needs because you're hypervigilant about trying to fix other people's needs or caretake their needs. You know, that, that information from the adult children of alcoholics realm, it's really applicable. It's really valuable, and it's worth looking at. And 
you know, a lot of people might have a reaction that, well, that doesn't apply to me. My parents weren't alcoholics. So just let that judgment or that reaction go and go down that list and see if you can relate to some of those things. Or you may know people that relate to some of those things, you know, and it's just interesting. It's not a judgment. It's all about an awareness of how we live our lives and and the cause and effect of the patterns that we're living. Because we end up living the same patterns throughout our entire life that are established in our infancy or our young adult time. We'll live those same patterns all through our life unless we intervene on them largely. I definitely like that. When you And I know you, you brought this up. One of the important things I think relates to a lot of this is having your support group around you that shares a similar ideas and focus would that be something with this that you'd you'd encourage someone to try to do is to have like-minded individuals who are open-minded to having true true change occur and a soul-searching process that that our audience should try to do this with uh, other individuals that might be very interested in wanting to study this stuff and apply it on a daily basis well, sure, man. You know, like I said earlier, anytime a group of people like this is a fantastic book for a book club or <laughs> for, you know, like a group of people that just get together for whatever reason. I don't know, you get together and shoot pool or play cards, just change up the dialogue a little bit, you know, and, and work through a book together because we learn from each other. And it, it, look what it would do. Yeah. I mean, imagine imagine the impact it would have on the depth of relationships that you would develop with the group of people that you work through this book with, you know, I mean, our culture these days for all of the amazing continuous interaction that we have through social media and, you know, texting, like we can communicate on a level that we've never been able to communicate before as human beings quantity of our communication is off the hook but the quality of our communication is is a mess you know how it's definitely something to think about (laughs) yeah how often do we communicate on a on a really heart and soul level with one another not enough (laughs) definitely not enough looking at and i think you raised a good point when you talk about social media that's a theme we talk about pretty frequently on the show is we're all interconnected on such a level, but like you said, our ability to really connect with each other beyond surface, you know, liking someone's post or posting a meme or some tertiary thing to get really deep with somebody. Utilizing a book like this might be able to help you with the group of people you're working on doing that with and evolving and changing your paradigm so that you grow. And I think that's what this type of, uh, of a topic and this, and you know, the Heart Reconnection Guidebook can help people to do is work together to, to help shape and share their own individual experiences. And I agree with you. I think you really do grow a lot when you're able to share with one another and gain perspective from each other. And I think that this is definitely something that can help, as you said, a, 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 someone who's doing a book club or someone who's a, just a, a close group of friends that really want to embark on a topic to not only improve themselves, but improve the general overall health of their particular group of friends that they're working with. Well, look at the level of transparency and intimacy and, you know, just look at the quality of relationship that it would bring up. And another thing is because, you know, the majority of our communication, it's like a mile wide, but it's a half inch deep. So 
like how vulnerable are we? How truly honest are we? And how able are you to sit and listen to someone talk about something that's really uncomfortable for them, Definitely. you know, and still support them and be present, like be there for someone else in support of that. So, you know, there's, there's just a whole lot to be gained by us coming back together again in little tribes of humans who are, who are all yeah. about, you know, raising ourselves up, man. And it's not about following a religion, you know, or everyone needing to think alike. It's just the opposite. Each one of us is deserving of living from a place of authenticity and being true to ourselves. You know, the last thing we need is to agree. We, what, what would really serve us is to be able to hold space with each other and be honest with, with each other and respect our differences, not need to all agree in order to, you know, to decide we can be friends. Hell, if everybody that I, if all my friends needed to agree with me, I wouldn't need all my friends. It's better when you can have different points of view that compete with one another to give you the ability to understand things from multiple perspectives. And that's why I think, you know, you know, the, one of the cool things about life is the more diversity in a situation, the healthier the situation is ultimately. Correct. I like that a lot. We have a few minutes left, and I just want to get into if any of our audience wants to contact you directly or wants to look, look you up, do you have a website, or where would you recommend our audience go to in, in terms of, of being able to contact you directly or follow up with you? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I have a, um, a treatment program, a recovery program, a treatment center in Nashville called the Integrative Life Center. It's integrativelifecenter.com. You can email me there. You can reach me through spiritrecovery.com. That's the website for the books. And I also lead journeys to Mexico and Peru, and we do sweat lodges on a monthly basis here in Tennessee. So spiritrecovery.com is a great way to connect with me. And I'm also on Facebook. It's Lee Richard McCormick. That's really all I have time to do. I don't really – I've got an Instagram account, but I just don't have time to do much more than that. <laughs> Absolutely. I was going to say, one of the things interesting about social media is there's so many versions of it. You could get lost on all the, all the things expected for you to keep up those social media. So I think it's interesting you say that. I, I definitely agree with you that face-to-face interactions and, you know, direct communication is, is a lot easier than the uh, – that's just the world we live in right now. <laughs> But um, yeah. If you were yeah, to, it is. well, I'm all it, about. I, I'm much more interested in quality than quantity. <laughs> correct, correct. I, I, I would say one last question for you. If you were to look at this and go back to your, I would say your past self or prior version of yourself before you got deep into this stuff, how would you evaluate the, the growth process you've been through to not only your personal experiences and what you've overcome, but to share that and, and create this paradigm shift for so many others. Right? You'd look at yourself from years ago, and, and what do you think is the most significant aspect of your transformation that you haven't shared with anyone before that you'd like to touch on? I've realized over these 21 or two years, I've realized how alive life is like how alive creation is, the wind, the water, you know, the earth, where we really are connected to everything, and it's not a cliche. And consciousness 
Like we're living in this this world and this entire frame is conscious. And so, you know, I've realized that like I have relationships with what I call spirit people that are like my relationships with people in bodies. Life is really amazing and it's really multidimensional and it's totally available to us, to all of us in, in our own unique way if we should be interested to ha- to be in relationship with life on that level. You know, but it's no different than the way we are with other people. If you and I wanted to get to know each other, we'd have to spend time together. You know, if you're going to be in a relationship with another human, then you do stuff with them. You get to know them for real. You know, you do things together. You cook and eat together. You, I don't know, you go surfing, <laughs> whatever. So you engage and you interact and you live life together. That's how you develop a relationship. Well, it's the same thing with the spirit world. If you wonder, you know, is the wind really conscious? Is, is the water really alive? All that kind of stuff. Then you have to give it time and attention. You know, you spend time with it. You talk to it. You look like a crazy person to some people, but so what? Who cares? <laughs> no judgment. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you I, know uh, what? It, it's a good way. To, it, it, it's just life will respond to us. When we give life our love and our attention and, and we're really doing our best day in and day out, and our best may not look very good, but we're really still doing our best, I'm telling you, life will respond to you. I really like that in terms of a closing thought for our interview. I want to thank you for coming on our show today. I think that this topic is, is extremely relative to everything that's going on in society right now. And for anyone who's looking to improve their lives, I recommend that they definitely check out your book. I want to thank you for coming on. And if you have any future works that you, you're working on down the road, I'd love to have you back on the show as well. And I, I just want to really thank you for taking time out of your schedule to join us for this interview. Man, you're super welcome. I appreciate you doing what you're doing. You know, we're all in it together. That's the deal. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on and being our guest. I appreciate it. All right, bro. Have a good evening. You too. Thank you so much, Mr. McCorn. I just want to thank everyone for tuning into this episode. Our special guest was Lee McCormick. The book is the Heart Reconnection Guidebook. You can check out McCormick's book online and definitely look into learning more and practicing heart reconnecting therapy. I think it's something that can definitely help us with improving our relationships with one another, gaining an increased understanding of who we are, what we are, and why we're here. And I think it's definitely something to approach from the vantage point of an open mind and the opportunity for betterment all along. Uh, Thank you for tuning into this episode. Until next time, I welcome you to contact me with any questions at info at the letter D, socialpsychicradio.com. You can also check out our social media, Facebook, Instagram, as well as any of our YouTube channel or any other of our outlets. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Social Psychic Radio Show. Don't forget to join us for another episode next time. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give us a review on iTunes. You can also check us out on Facebook, and don't forget to visit the Social Psychic YouTube channel. Until next time, it's a big world out there. Keep an open mind. 
embrace your paradigms and know that the universe is always yours to explore. At Baker's, no matter where you order free pickup, you get the same great deals as you'd get in store. So you can save when you order during band practice or at the dog park or wherever. Start your cart with the Baker's app and save from wherever today. Baker's, fresh for everyone. $35 order minimum. Restrictions may apply. Subject to availability. Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. Hi, I'm Lassa Gaudet, host of her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time. I speak with women from all over the world about what they do and how they are passionately pursuing their dreams and creating meaningful impacts on their communities. So come join us and learn about all there is to learn about these extraordinary women. Electric acid. 